Hello and thanks for streaming this episode from ACF Church. Our hope is that this word would encourage you to walk closer with God and with your local church. We hope you consider partnering in the work God's doing here by joining a life group, serving, and giving. If you'd like to give financially to the mission of ACF Church, you can do so safely on our website at acfak.org or by texting the amount to 907-341-4213. Now prepare your hearts to hear God's word. Good morning, everybody. We're so glad that you're here. My name is Brian, and I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, we're filling up again. We're so excited about this season that we're in. Uh, let's welcome everybody who's with us online as well. We are grateful for you. Glad that you're with us this morning. Last week was huge, you guys. We are back in our building. We're so excited to be in here after 16 weeks of meeting off-site at the high school. Um, and so we are just really excited to be back into this space, into our home, and moving forward together. And if you're brand new this morning, we are thrilled that you're here. We're thrilled that you're with us. Uh, glad that you would spend this morning here uh, with ACF Church. And, and, and if you're kind of wondering, like, what's going on here? There's, this is kind of a different morning and a different series that we're in as a church, because as we've moved back into this building, we're talking about what's next for us, which is a, it's a great time for us to talk about, well, where is all of this going? What is next for ACF Church? How can we continue to move forward? And, and so we've been working through the book of Acts, and from the beginning of this series, we've been talking about our Acts 1-8 mission. That as the Holy Spirit came upon his church, they were empowered to share the gospel from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the very ends of the earth. And so we really sense that God is calling ACF to do exactly that. And so we're going to continue moving forward and just taking steps, one step at a time as a church, towards our Acts 1-8 mission. Uh, we launched our Wednesday night church service this last week, which is awesome. Yeah, we're excited to have that going again. If you don't know what that is, it's the same service as Sunday morning, uh, just on a different day. And so the sermon I preached today, I already preached it on Wednesday, and I preached it at 9 a.m., and then I'm here with you guys as well. And so we're going to continue to kind of feel out this next season to see if we need more services coming up here soon. As you can see, we're already using all of this space, especially at 11 a.m. And so if you're here today, 
and maybe you're gone fishing on the weekends often or camping, can I invite you to uh, the Wednesday service? I'd love to invite you to come midweek, continue to make space for people here uh, at this service. Many times if people are new to the community, uh, new to church, they will come to the 11 a.m. service. It's just the traditional church time. And so if you're able to move your family to Wednesday night um, or even to the 9 a.m. gathering, we would love it if you would do that. And, and so I started last week. We're talking about our next step as a church. We're talking about where we're going. And, and all of these weeks are leading up to one really huge week for us at ACF Church. September 4th and 8th is what we're calling Commitment Week. And Commitment Week is when you're going to bring in the cards that you have in that pamphlet on your seat, and you're going to show up with whatever it is that God is calling you to do to help us take our next step as a church. And so we don't want anything right now. Don't worry about that. And again, if you're brand new and you're like, seriously, I showed up to church on the giving week, like through the giving series, are you, are you serious? That's just how it always works out. Um, it's, it's always going to be kind of a weird week when you show up to church the first time. Uh, but know this, we don't want anything from you. You can totally relax. But through this series, if you're just sort of feeling out church, you're going to get a sense of what we're about. You're going to understand what our heart is and where we're going as a community. And so uh, we have challenged you to be here every single week for this series. So if you're one of those once a monthers, twice a monther people, uh, just to be here for this whole time, because each week is absolutely essential to you understanding where we're going as a church in the next months and years. And so make sure you're here for every week. But we've chosen to move forward. And honestly, when you think of church, you don't always think of risk. You don't always think of a, a community that's risking for much. It's very easy for a church to get comfortable. Um, just so you know, if you're wondering, why did we uh, remodel this building? Why, did we, uh, why are we moving forward with this space? Know this, it's not just for us. It's not just to make us comfortable. This place is for our friends, it's for our neighbors, it's for those who are yet to come, those in our city who have yet to hear and respond to the gospel of Jesus. And so if you're not used to that, if you're used to maybe a little more comfortable atmosphere that's not moving forward, this is not going to be a comfortable church for you. Because we really sense that God wants to keep moving us and calling us to risk for the kingdom of God. Any next step is going to be a risk, know that. Every step you take forward is a risk. And I love what John Piper says. He says, the Christian life is a call to risk. You'll either live with risk or you'll waste your life. Think about that. You will either learn to deal with and live with risk or you will waste your life. As you think about your journey and the experiences you've been uh, through, you know many of them are from risking big things and it's led to a huge breakthrough in your life. The best things in your life have come through risk. And so we want to be a church that's willing to risk, willing to move forward. And we said this, that the first part of our Acts 1-8 mission is to finish this Brooks Loop campus by building a living room to help foster relationships and assist people in taking their next steps. And so if you're online and you can't really see our space, we've basically taken our lobby and used it as part of this room. And so now we can open up those doors. We can seat another 100 people out in that current space. But what that means is now we don't have an intermediate gathering space, like a living room, where we can build relationships, where we can have a cup of coffee with a friend of ours, where you know, we can talk about what are our next steps together. And so we are sensing that God is calling us to finish out this building 
and, and by building a lobby off the front of the building. And then that's going to also cause us to finish the rest of this property. We've got a pothole out front and major uh, issues with our asphalt. And uh, we just need to finish off what we've done in the back and make the outside look a little like the inside. Because it looks great in here, doesn't it? I mean, we, we would love it if our community saw what was going on uh, outside and it looked a lot like what's going on in here. So that is uh, our next step with this building. But that is just our Jerusalem. That is just the beginning of where we sense God is calling us in our next step as a church. We want to continue to risk. We want to continue to push forward. I remember when uh, we were first married, my wife and I, um, we took some big risks. And one of the biggest risks that we took was to choose to pursue having children. I mean, any parents in the room? You guys know having kids is a risk, right? It's going to be a risk. If you're a teenager, don't push it, right? Just like take your time. You don't need the risk too soon. It's something that definitely creates a lot of, a lot of challenges and a lot of joy, right? Is having kids. And I remember when we were married just a few years and uh, my wife Amanda was, was ready, right? She was ready to have kids like a typical couple. She was ready and I was not, right? I was just busy enjoying being just her and I. And I remember having these difficult conversations where she's like, I think now's the time. And I'm like, no, I think we got a few years. Let's just put this off, right? And, and so she said just in, graciously, she's like, you need to let me know. You just need to let me know when you're ready and we will we will decide to take a step forward together. And so I still remember the day. I remember we were in Grand Junction, Colorado. We were on a mountain biking trail uh, called Mary's Loop, just outside of Grand Junction. And we're sitting on top of this beautiful canyon, looking out across all this beautiful landscape. And I sensed that God told me, now's the time to, to make the decision to have a child, not to make the baby, by the way. I got to clarify, because on Wednesday night, they freaked out, so... It's like, get your minds out of the gutter. Now's the time to make the decision to pursue having children. And so we did. We made the decision together to, to pursue having children. And you know that when you make that choice, there's all kinds of unknowns, right? There's things that you don't know are coming. And, and that's just part of the journey that you're on. And I remember we, we got back in the car. We drove into town. We went to Chili's because date night was all about Chili's. We get the... the chips and queso. And, and that was like, that was just a huge celebration that we were going on this journey together, that we were taking a, a step forward together to have kids. And so I get to share with you that we're moving beyond our Jerusalem into our Judea. And we as a church, since God is calling us to plant a second campus. So that's huge. Yeah, that we can celebrate that. I think that's massive. Yeah, we are so excited that that's a big deal. Some of you are like, what's that mean? And that's okay. If you don't know what that means, we're going to explain it to you. Essentially, a second campus is like, it's like a church plant. It's our way of using what God has done here to move beyond the walls of this facility, maybe into another location at some point. And so we sense God is calling us to be a multiplying church. And what you need to know about ACF Church is that we were planted back in 1987. And within the first three years, the church had already planted two other churches. So in the DNA of ACF is church planting, is multiplication. And so we're really sensing God is saying, like, it's time to move forward. It's time to multiply and move beyond the walls of this specific space. Because once we do this last phase of building, that will be the end of what we can actually do on this property. And so we can do more services and things, but we sense that God is saying, keep moving. Keep moving on your acts. 1-8 mission. And so uh, another campus is basically a church plant, but that, that utilizes our resources so that they can grow and expand and, and reach more people for Jesus. And that's what we're all about. 
is continuing to share the gospel with more people. To, to do this, though, it actually requires resources. It, it requir- requires staffing and pastoral leadership. Uh, it re- requires a potential facility and a location, wherever that may be. Uh, to get a location means sometimes getting some architectural drawings and design done. And There's a lot of things that go into being able to do that. And there are many steps and many unknowns between here and there. But what we know is ACF Church, God is calling us to multiply. God is calling us to move beyond where we are into what's next. And, and my invitation to you is just to start praying about that. Like ask God, what is God saying to you about that? And maybe he's going to put something on your heart to contribute to that or to be part of that. But that is our next step as we talk about our Acts 1-8 mission is to continue to raise the funds that we need to be able to expand this space and finish this building out and then move towards our Judea, our Samaria, and the ends of the earth. And we'll be talking about those other locations and what we're doing next in the next couple of weeks. And so we are moving forward together. And, and uh, one of the things that we know is when, when, when we chose to have kids, we had to get our house in order. Like if you're a dad, you know the first thing you thought about when baby was coming was how are we going to pay for it? right? How are we going to buy the diapers? How are we going to send this kid through college, right? Kids cost money. And so I started worrying about that stuff. And I remember sitting down with our budget for the first time going, babe, we got to get a budget going. We have a child coming. We need to figure out what's next. And so that's really what we're doing as a church is we're starting to get the house in order so that we can begin to multiply, so that we can move forward on our Acts 1-8 mission. And what I want to say about you guys is that so many of you are already doing this. Like many of you guys are already helping us to get our house in order by contributing, by being generous, by giving to the mission that God has here. And I want to tell you, I I believe this with all my heart, you guys are the most generous people I've ever met. I mean, this church blows my mind at how generous so many of you are. And so I've seen God work through that in many of your lives. And I'd love to actually share Pete's story. Check it out. Hey, my name's Pete Carpenter, and I'm a realtor here in Anchorage, Alaska, and I've been going to ACF for about six years now. I started out as a, uh, a goal in my life to be a, a paramedic and a firefighter and worked towards that for uh, nearly 12 years. And I had started this adventure kind of just on a, for the heck of it, on a whim. I decided to get my license as a realtor, and it was more of just a side gig to, you know, kind of get a little bit of extra income. And I was, at the time, had a, one of my best friends that was traveling the world doing missionary work. And he uh, decided that he was just gonna take a leap of faith and sell everything he had. He took $3,000 and started traveling the world for two years. A big thing on my heart was to, to try to financially help support him during that time. And so I kind of prayed about it, thought about it a lot. I was really convicted by the fact that he could just abandon everything in his life and, and give it all to God and go on this mission for wherever God sent him with no money in his pocket, which was financially just a a scare to me. Like, how could someone have that kind of faith and do that? So I made a commitment in my heart that uh, that real estate income was gonna be a large portion of that to support him financially. And about this time too is when we launched uh, Next Step at ACF. It really had this big struggle because in real estate you get these transactions it's all commission-based and you work for two months and then eventually if everything goes right you get paid on it and with a transaction there's so many different levels of percentages and things that are taking out and so you always watch these checks just get dwindled down to next to nothing and so it's really hard at first for me to, to think like well I'm 
tithing on this. I'm uh, supporting my friend who's a missionary with a substantial amount of this income. And then like, I'm gonna give another big portion of it away. And like, what is that? How much is it? What's too much? What's not enough? It was a struggle for me for a little bit that I had to try to figure out. Growing up, my father, he loved to bless people. And he'd always say, I'm blessed and highly favored. And when he would bless someone and they would push back, he would always say, don't rob me of my blessing. And that always just kind of kept ringing in me in my spirit. And so I prayed on it for a while and decided that I was gonna give a substantial amount of that income from real estate to both my missionary friend and to ACF Next Step. I took that leap of faith and the blessings have just been amazing. My business is more than multiplied 10 times what it was then. And I had set the point to where now I'm able to completely support myself, getting married in two weeks and like able to do all of this while being self-employed and doing this now for about eight months in. Being a, able to be a part of what ACF is doing and not just our church and our body, but in also the community of Eagle River is really important to me. And I just feel like there's no better way to give and to be a part of this and to see the things that are already happening with our space. And we're growing so fast that we can't even keep up. And that's just amazing that, to me to think that I'm able to help contribute and be a part of that. So for me, that's what it's been all about. You know, it's not about um, giving to get blessings or to grow my business and God will take care of me. It's That's all secondary. It's really just being able to help out and do my part in what I think is right and, and, and bless the people here at ACF and our community. Love it, love it. Hey, if you got a Bible, open up to Acts chapter 17, or you can download the ACF Church app, and all of the text will be there as well. I love Pete's story. I love, I love even, I love that he shares the tension of like, I, I wanted to be generous, I made a decision, and then I wanted to take it back, right? Like we've all been there, where we wanted to make a decision to be generous, and then we're like, oh, that, that's a lot, right? That's difficult. And so, you know, I want to start off by acknowledging, um, today's conversation may make you uncomfortable. So I just want to lay that out there. I know some of you are like, Brian, I finally got my friend to come to church today. I'm sorry. I don't know what to tell you. And somebody between services came up and they were, they were like, Brian, I don't envy you because you're talking about money in the church. And that makes people really un uncomfortable. And so they're like, man, how do you feel about that? And I just said, you know what? Um, this may be one of the most important sermons I preach all year long. And the reason is because money has our hearts. And so when something other than God has our hearts, that means there's an opportunity for freedom. That means there's an opportunity for liberty, for God to free the captives. And, and, and whenever that, I think of that, I think of you know, talking about money, I think about an opportunity for God to liberate ACF Church, to free us up and to, to heal some things that are broken inside of us. And so um, honestly, I love this talk. So I think this is a great conversation. And even if I know that it's going to make some of you uncomfortable, um, and part of me is uncomfortable with it just because I, I want you to hear my heart on all of this. But I hope that you're ready to let God speak to you. I hope that whatever I say that you're like, man, that, that's hard for me, that you would just let the Spirit of God speak to you here today and receive from Him. But at this point in the book of Acts, uh, we've got Paul, and, and he's on his missionary journeys. Uh, we, we read earlier he came through Thessalonica. He came through uh, Berea, which is where we get the word Bereans. They, they read their Bibles, which is awesome. We should be Bereans, the type of people that study our Bibles. And then he moves on to Athens. And Athens is uh, what I would call sort of the intellectual capital of the ancient world. 
Uh, It's a city full of people who love philosophy. They love to think through things and debate different philosophies and religions and beliefs and and spiritual points of view. And so these these people have a lot of thoughts, a lot of ideas, and a lot of gods. So it was a city full of gods. As Paul walks through the city, he realizes that there are idols everywhere. In fact, it's been said of Athens that it was, either, it was easier to meet a god than it was to meet a person in Athens. So there were just different gods everywhere, shrines to different gods everywhere, different belief systems everywhere. Everybody had sort of just figured out what they wanted to believe in, and that's what they were pursuing. And so we read this in verse 16. It says, The longer Paul waited in Athens... For Silas and Timothy, the angrier he got, all those idols, the city was a junkyard of idols. Think about that. When I think of a junkyard, I think of things that have been worn out, things that that have sort of overlived their usefulness and their purpose, and then they've been thrown away. And so as he walks through the city, what he sees is people have come up with all kinds of belief systems, all kinds of idols, and then over the years, they haven't met their needs. They've moved on to the next thing. That, that idol doesn't meet their needs. They move on to the next thing. That God doesn't meet their needs. And so they go from God to God to God to God, creating these different gods in their own image and being left unsatisfied. And so this is Paul. He's like, it's a junkyard of idols, and he says he's angry. Now, I don't know what you think of when you think of him being angry, but it's not like he's bashing their heads together going like, hey, stop worshiping these idols. Paul is upset that they have given themselves over to be deceived. He looks around, he's like, man, these people are so deceived. They're so lost, and his heart is broken for this city because people have worshiped all of these other gods instead of knowing the one true God. And so he's angry, and and he's upset that that's happening around him. I would say that we live in a similarly, similarly intellectual age where our view of God is shaped more by us than by him. I will tell you, we tend in America today to come up with all of our own gods. We tend to want to even shape God into an image that we like. And so what we'll do is we'll pull out certain scriptures that we enjoy, and we'll post them on Instagram because we like them, and they look good with a cool background behind them and a filter on them, and, and we'll, we'll build our theology around little chunks of scripture, and before we know it, we've created our own God. Before we know it, he is not a holy God, a God that's set apart, a God that's different. He is a God that's been made in our image. We have created an idol instead of knowing the one true God. Now, I don't know what you think of the word idol, depending on your church background, Or if you don't go to church, typically, it's kind of a weird word. Like, what is an idol? I would say an idol is anything other than God that you crave after or trust to meet your needs. An idol is anything other than God, just think for a moment, that you crave after or that you trust to meet your needs. And now maybe a test for you if you're like, well, I don't know if if this thing in my mind is an idol Here's the question. Would you give up obedience to God for whatever that is? If you would ever give up obedience to God, if you ever choose to reject what God says is best so that you can do whatever it is that you want to do or go after whatever it is that you're going after, then you can be sure that that thing is an idol. Now, I'm I'm guessing everybody in the room's got something, right? Like, I got stuff in my mind. You probably have things in your mind that you're like, yeah, this is something that I would tend to give up obedience to God for. That I would pursue this thing, that it gives me some kind of sense of peace in my life, some kind of feeling of of security in my life. 
Or maybe this is something that I crave after, that I want more of in my life. And so you got Paul, he's in this setting. People have all kinds of different idols that they're worshiping, and they invite Paul to speak at what's called the Oropagus. And it's this large rock in the middle of the city, and it's also a place used as sort of like a courtroom for the city. And they invite him to, to speak, and they're interested, like, oh, Paul has another view on a god. Essentially, they're thinking, man, yeah, share with us what you view about your god, and we'll lump your god in with all of our gods, a very pluralistic society, much like America. Hey, I'm interested in hearing about your God. As long as your God doesn't get in the way of my God, we all can be happy and we all can worship our different gods, right? Verse 22, it says, So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. Now, I don't know how that lands on you, but for me, that feels like a slam, right? Like, hey, men and women of ACF Church, you guys are really religious, kind of feels like a setup, doesn't it? Like, what are, you, what are you trying to say to us, Paul, right? It says, verse 23, For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being. So he talks about the unknown God. So they had created sort of this shrine to the unknown God, which to some degree is an indictment upon what they believe. They're saying, hey, we've got all these different gods. Let's just create sort of a junk drawer God, right? This is just like a junk drawer God. To, you guys have a junk drawer in your house, right? It's got like old cell phone chargers for stuff you don't own anymore. And, you know, it's like, like old pens and stuff that's worn out that you don't use. and just toss it in the junk, junk drawer. And this is what they've created is the junk drawer God, the unknown God. And Paul says, you have an unknown God, but there is actually a real God. There's a one true God. Because can we admit that not all of these gods can be right? They can't all be God, right? Can't, can they all be God? At some point, there is a truth. Something is true in the end. And Paul's like, no, there's actually only one true God. And I know him. And he can't be contained by your temples. He can't fit in the palm of your hands. He can't fit in your bank account. This God is greater and he's bigger. He's the owner of all things. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills, right? This God in everything, everything lives and moves and breathes in this God. He's massive. He's uncontainable. And yet he's so close you can touch him. This is a God that is, is near you and with his people. It says in him we live and move and have our being. Paul's like this God, he sustains you. Every breath that you breathe at church today, he gives it to you as a gift and you're guaranteed no others. We live and we move and we breathe in this God. And it talks about how he's determined a lot of periods and boundaries that, that they might reach out for this God. And some of you know what that's like because you're at church today and you found your limits. 
You found your financial limits and you're freaking out about something. You found some relational limitations and you've got a relationship that's falling apart and you're like, how do I fix this with my wife? How do I fix this with my boyfriend or my girlfriend? Like we've got struggles right here and so we have issues that we're dealing with. You found limits in your health, right? I mean, maybe you were living like you're going to live forever and then you found the end of yourself and you're like, man, I've got some problems. And in those things, in those boundaries that God created, it causes you to search, right? Because you realize that, man, I've believed in a lot of stuff, but I get the sense that I need to believe in what's right right now. Like I need, I need something that's true right now. Is there a rescuing God? And if there is one, I want to know him right now. Those boundaries can be such a gift from God. In verse 29, it goes on, it says, Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. They'd created these shrines and these idols out of the most costly of stones and minerals of their day. These things were currency of the day that they turned into their idols. He says, the times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. In other words, hey, you didn't know better before you came to church today, right? You didn't know better before you came to hear my voice is what Paul is saying. But now you do know, and God's saying, now you're responsible to take a step forward. Verse 31, because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Who's that man? Jesus, right? The church answer. Jesus, right? It's Jesus. Jesus is the, it will be the judge. We will stand before God one day. And God will know what has authority in our lives, right? Like one day we will stand before God. And whatever we worship on earth, listen, we will worship in eternity. Whatever you trust to save you on earth, you will trust to save you into eternity, right? And he's like, he's like, there is a day coming where we will stand before God. This God is not like gold or silver. He can't be bought with a price. He can't fit into your pocket. Now, for you today, I don't know if you feel like you worship your finances or worship the things of this world. I don't know if you think that those things are idols to you. Because when you think of idol, you might think of me like bowing down to a little Buddha or something like that, or some kind of little piece of gold, and you're like, it's been a while since I've bowed down to a piece of gold in my house, and so I'm um, clearly not an idolater, Brian. But once again, by that definition, that idolatry is anything other than God that we give authority to, that we give the power to give us either peace or restlessness, right? Now, all of a sudden, that thing has become an idol to us. And what we see as Jesus preaches is that Jesus knows that we all will tend to put our hope in money instead of Jesus. And we will all tend to wander into putting our hope into our finances, to feeling like, if I can just be financially secure, I can be okay. I'm anxious, anxious, anxious until I'm financially secure. And what you'll find is that wherever your anxiety is, there is your God, right? Like whatever makes you most anxious tends to be the thing that it has the most authority in your life. And we in America, we get this. Consumerism is the air we breathe in the U.S., right? I don't even think we realize it anymore. I mean, we just have like an IV drip of consumerism in our lives, and it's coming at us from every direction. And I, I believe that Jesus wants to heal us from this. And like I said earlier, to set 
us free from this. Matthew 6, 24, Jesus says, No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. So there it is. Jesus said it. You can't be mad at me. Jesus says, you can be mad. It's up to you. Uh, Jesus says you can't serve God and money. Here's what that means. Everyone in this room today, you are probably serving one or the other. But you're not serving both. So Jesus says like, you can't try to hold both at the same time. Can I, can I just sort of hold God and money? And depending on my day, I'll serve one or the other, right? When the bank account's low, when I'm, when I'm freaking out, I'll serve the money. When the bank account goes up, I can relax. I can serve God, right? When I've got the, the, new, the new iPhone and I'm feeling good and I'm driving around my car and it's running well, I'll serve God. When I, when I want the new iPhone, when I want the new thing, when I want the new ATV, I'll serve money. And let me just tell you, I've got some wants too, right? I was texting with a friend a few weeks ago about something called a Sherpa. Anybody know what a Sherpa is? It's a machine. You can Google it later, dudes. Like, I'm telling you. Watch some YouTube videos on the Sherpa, and it is the moose hunting buggy of, uh, you know, of the future. It's awesome. Um, and I think it's like $100,000. So um, I'm going to put that on my Christmas list, just so you know. In case anybody here is a Sherpa dealer, I would love, I love one. So it's funny. We started texting about this, and guess what I'm dreaming about all day long? Sherpa, 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 Sherpa. It's like in my mind, right? You know, I'm supposed to be looking up stuff for my sermon. I'm on YouTube looking up Sherpas, right? I'm just dreaming about how awesome it would be to run one of these things around the countryside. And so I get it, right? Like I get it. I get how these things can consume us. But then what happens is we start to direct so much energy towards those things that it robs us from the, the calling that God has placed on our lives, I mean, you cannot fulfill your calling to God and serve money at the same time. You just can't do it. I mean, it will rob you not just of the financial calling, but of your time and energy and thoughts that you would otherwise be able to give to things that God wants you to give them to. And, and I am not an anti-money guy. I'm glad if you made it to church today in a decent working vehicle. Like, praise God, right? If you had a house to be in last night when it's blowing 100 miles an hour outside, like, praise God. I'm glad that you did. So, so we're not anti-money. We just need to understand what money is and what it's not. And when it becomes our God, we, we, have, we have abused it. We've turned something that can be good and, and leveraged for the kingdom into something that is now abused. I said earlier that whatever you worship on earth is what you'll worship in heaven. I, and I want to push on that a little bit. And the way I want to say it is that whatever you choose to serve is what you trust to save. Whatever we choose to serve is what we trust to save. In other words, whatever you are serving the most is the thing that you will trust to, to, to hold you up in the end. It's the thing that you will give authority to and power over you. Um, kind of an example of this is uh, last year, a friend of mine invited me to go flying um, in a Super Cub, which was awesome. And uh, so he invites me out. We go, uh, go to the airport. I meet him there and he's got the hood up on the, on the airplane, which doesn't make me feel good. Um, I guess that's what you do. But he's got the hood up on the airplane, and he's like, he's like checking nuts and bolts and making sure everything's tight and everything looks good. And, and like I walk over, and he checks the oil, and I'm like, how's it look? He's like, it looks good. I said, check it again, right? So he check, he's like, still looks good. I'm like, okay. So he's walking around, and I'm like trying to fake it. I'm like looking at the tires, and I'm like, yeah, those are there, and the wing's still on here, and, you know, it looks like everything is, is good to go. And, and then we get up in the plane, and we're good. And I was thinking, like, why were we so vigilantly caring for this machine? Because in just a few moments, we were going to put our hope in it. 
right? In just a few moments, it was going to literally hold us in the sky, thousands of feet in the air. And so we clearly cared about the structural integrity of this particular machine, right? Because we wanted it to hold together. And I want you to know that whatever you're choosing to serve is a thing that you're choosing to trust in, the thing that you're hoping will save you. And my question is, will what you're serving save you in the end? Will whatever you're serving save you in the end? If you have a sense today, even if you're maybe new to church or new to Christianity, if you have a sense that, man, there's some things wrong in my heart, and that one day I will probably stand before this, this God, whoever he is, and make an account for my life. I wonder for you, will what you have chosen to serve be enough before that God? Because in the end, the only one who's enough is Jesus. Like Jesus is really only going to be enough in that moment, in that day that Paul's trying to preach about here to these people, that, uh, that we stand before God. The only one who will be enough to save any of us is Jesus. And so I want to transition a little bit here and talk about this financial thing a little bit deeper. Um, if you're not already uncomfortable, get ready. So um, we're going to talk about something that God established and put in place in his church from the, from in, in the very beginning of, of just building the nation of Israel to support the people of the church and to support the ministry of the church. And it's something called tithing. Has anybody heard that word tithing before? It's, it's a new word to some of you. Others of you, if you've been in the church forever, you know. Uh, it, it's actually a, it's a Hebrew word that means tenth. So 10% is a tithe, right? So when you think of tithing, you think of giving money to the church. Most people, like I think of giving money to the, to the church. And, and this was established and required by God's people, not suggested, like required by his people as part of his people to give 10% of their first and their best finances, crops, whatever they had. And they would bring them in and they would give them to the, the Levites, which were sort of like the pastors of the day. And those Levites would then distribute and use those funds to care for the poor, to support the, the temple, to, to do the work that God was calling them to do. And so uh, some people argue a little bit about this, like was it 10%? In fact, if you do a little study, you'll realize that it was probably closer to 20 to 25%. Um, not only did they give uh, to support the ministry of God's people, but they also once a year would throw this big party and they'd invite the poor to come. And so they'd, they'd raise all these, these funds to support this big event. And, and, and so in the end, it was probably closer to 20 to 25% of what they made. Some of you are like, I would be out, right? I'd be, I'd be streaming church online, Brian, if you said 25% is what it takes to be part of ACF. So that's the history of the tithe. It's something that God's people gave to support the ministry um, of, of his people. And so we know that exists. Now, depending on your church background, you were taught to give 10% of your money to the church, right? Um, some of you are doing that. Some of you are not. Some of you are trying to get there maybe one day. And other, others of you are saying, Brian, I, I don't even care about it. That's not something that we need to worry about. That's not something that is important at all. The question that constantly comes up when, you, when a pastor talks about tithing because it makes everybody uncomfortable, is does tithing equal obedience for Christians today? That's, a, that's an important question, doesn't it? Like, like, Brian, are you saying that this applies to me today, that, that now, now I'm supposed to give 10% of what I have to the ministry of the church? Because we do know that that was how it was established initially. But then when I talk to people about this, the first thing people always say, don't forget Jesus, right? Don't forget Jesus, because 
Jesus died as a fulfillment of all the prophecy. And Jesus himself was a fulfillment of the law, right? Right? And so because of Jesus, we know this, that we're no longer under the law. Amen? Come on. If you're a church person, you ought to be excited about that. Because of Jesus, we are no longer under the law. Amen? That's good news. It's really, really good news. Grace is a good thing. We have these shirts that say, Amplify Grace. Praise God for grace. So the question is, then what do we do with our money? And what do we do do with this now? And what happens a lot in the church is a pastor will preach about grace. Grace, grace, yes, Jesus' grace is so good. We're no longer under the law, right? Thank you for the grace of Jesus. And then it'll get to the money talk and it'll be law, right? 10% is the standard and that's the end of the story. And I just want you to know, when Jesus is asked about the law, because that's they ask the same question, Jesus, what about the law? Like, what do we do? The religious people are always like, man, tell us about the law. What do we do with the law? Jesus said, you can sum up the entire law and the prophets with simply this. You guys know what it is? Love the Lord God with all of your heart, right? And love your neighbor as yourself. Now, I don't know how that lands on you. Some of you, when you hear that, you're like, sweet, that's way easier, right? Praise God, no more law. All we have to do is love God, right? All we have to do is love our neighbors. It's so easier. But friends, listen, this is so much more difficult. I mean, we are now under the law of love as those who are in Christ Jesus. If you're a Christian in this room, you're under the law of love. And so what you're called to do with your finances is to love God with your finances. Just as we're to love God with our money, or with, with, our, with our time, with our energy, with, with our thoughts, with, with all that we do, we're to, call, to, to love God with those things. So does tithing equal obedience for Christians today? I would answer it with this. Love has no limits in giving. Like it would be wrong of me to come before you and say, hey, if you're giving 10%, to the ministry that God is doing through your church, this is your church, and to say, then, then you're good. Like, that number makes God happy. He's, he's happy with your 10%. That would be wrong of me, because now under the law of, of love, right, the law of love has no limits in giving. If you love your wife, men, you will serve her, right? And how does God call men to serve their wives? Like Christ served the church. How did he serve the church? He died for the church, right? Man, all right. So it seems like Brian's raising, the, this may not be where you thought this sermon was going. I'm sorry. It seems like Brian's raising the bar, and um, that's exactly what I'm trying to do. Uh, Jesus raises the bar. Jesus says everything, you don't get, you don't get to kind of get off easy and say, well, if I give 10% of my money, that's, that, that's it. Because Jesus then, and many people are like, well, tithing's an Old Testament thing. But do you know Jesus actually reaffirms the tithe? Matthew 23. Jesus says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, religious people. You tithe your mint and your dill and your cumin, yet you neglect the weightier matters of the law, justice, mercy, faithfulness. What does Jesus essentially do with the law of tithing? He, what does he do? He, he raises the bar, right? I, I hear Christians all the time. They're like, hey, under the law of, under, under the law of love, under grace, I, I'm to give less, right? Right? Well, let's look at what Jesus does with the law. Jesus starts talking about it. He says, hey, you guys know the Ten Commandments, right? You've heard, thou shalt not murder. That's a good thing to follow, right? Let's not murder each other. That's a great place to start as a church, right? Maybe I need to do a sermon on that. Just Let's just not kill each other, right? That'd be a good place to begin. But then what does Jesus say, you remember? He says, 
Actually, he says, if you have anger in your heart towards your fellow man that has been undealt with, then you've actually already murdered them in your heart. Then he says, hey, you guys know about adultery, right? Like, thou shalt not commit adultery. And we'd all say in the church, amen. Let's not do that, please. Like, stay with your spouse, right? It's, it's good. Don't commit adultery. But Jesus goes, actually, if you've got lust in your heart, then you've actually already slept with that person. So what does Jesus do? He raises the bar, and then what happens, and I get in these conversations and debates with Christians all the time when it comes to the financial thing, and the reason we get so fired up is because money is our idol, right? We'll get most angry about the things that own our heart more than Jesus. And so we start fighting about these things, and it's always like, yeah, Jesus raises the bar on all these other things, but then on tithing, he lowers the bar, right? You've heard it said that you should give to support the ministry, and at the same time, I'm just going to say, don't worry about that, right? And here's what I want to say. If I've just lost you because I'm talking about money and you've disconnected, I just want you to know this about the grace of Jesus. If, if the grace of Jesus leads you to sin more or to give less, or to serve less, then you don't understand the grace of Jesus. You just don't. In fact, Paul says this later. He says, he says, should we sin more so that grace might abound, right? Let's get more grace flowing. Let's do more. No, he says, absolutely not. No, absolutely not. We should actually lean in, and the grace of Jesus causes us to go, God, I am all yours. God, I lay down my life for you. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me, so I put myself on the altar. Not because I'm trying to pay for my own sins. Because Jesus already did that, right? Praise God. You can't give enough money to pay for your sins. Just so you know, if you're like, man, I can write a fat check today, it won't cover it. It won't, <laughs> it won't cover it. The biggest check in the world won't cover what you or I have done. Jesus himself covers our sins. And his grace is so good that we lead the way in generosity as his people. So that's what we're called to do. And, and, and so I want to talk about your next step as we close out here. Because this is pretty important. This is pretty important. Malachi 3.10 talks about tithing. It says, Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. Now here's what I'm not promising you, is that if you sell your truck, you're going to get a nicer one next year. I'm not promising you that. I'm not promising you that if you start to give, that all of a sudden your bank account's going to get all inflated, right? Although those stories do happen. And I love stories like Pete's where it's like, man, I started trusting God. I tested him as, as God calls us to financially, and I saw him come through. But what I am saying is that when you trust God financially, you will be blessed. And this word blessing is a Greek word that literally means satisfied. That's a different way of talking about blessing, isn't it? When we think about blessing, we're like, new cars, 20-inch wheels. Like, we start thinking about, like, the new iPhone. We start thinking about all the nice tech that we want. Well, actually, when, when Malachi says you'll be blessed, he means you'll be, you'll be satisfied. And let me just tell you, satisfaction is far more valuable than any material thing you could ever acquire. I mean, if we could just be satisfied, what if your heart could just be satisfied? I mean, with everything. And what if you could look at your wife and look at your husband and just be satisfied? What if, you could, what if you could look at your parents and just be satisfied? What if you could check your bank account? Some of you are doing it right now. You're like, is God like dripping it out of my account while I'm listening to this sermon? What, what, like, like, what if you could look at your bank account and you could be satisfied? 
Not that you wouldn't try, not that you wouldn't budget, not that you wouldn't work hard, but that you would feel satisfaction in this world. And what we are told to do is that when we trust God financially, we will experience satisfaction. And so whatever your step is, I've got some steps up here um, to show you. Here's what this isn't. This isn't a stairway to heaven. So you don't like, I thought about playing it for you. I do know the intro. Um, So some of you are like on ground level here today. And I just want you to know, I'm so glad that you're here. If you're like, Brian, I have literally never given a dollar to the church. I just, I'm so glad that you're here. And And I can appreciate that that's where you're at. If you're like, man, I'm just considering this. Like, what would it be like? I'm literally just considering, what would it be like to use what God has handed me financially for the kingdom? Some of you are like, man, I don't have a whole lot of money to my name, right? Some of you teenagers are like, I got like 10 bucks to my name, right? It means you got a dollar to tie, that's a start. But no, like you've got something. You've got a start, right? I don't know where you need to begin. And once again, and I want to tell you too, a little caveat. This is about like all of our money. It's all about, it's about finances, Like, Jesus knows that money has our hearts, and so he's not saying, well, just tithe your time, right? Just go serve a little bit, and that counts. It's just, it's different. Um, It's different for me because time doesn't have my heart. Money has my heart. And so I can't give up my time and let God give me satisfaction in my finances. I actually have to allow him to give me satisfaction through being generous. And so maybe you're just considering, maybe, maybe today is like just the first time. And you're like, all right, Brian, I feel guilty. I heard your sermon, the plate's going to go by, and I definitely don't want to be that guy or girl that doesn't put anything in, right? And so you're like, man, I got 20 bucks, and I'm going to start. And, and that's a great start, and I want you to know, like, like, whatever God is calling you to do, that's all I'm asking you to do. Whatever God is saying to you, right, under the law of love, as you look at the grace poured out on your life, is to do exactly what that is. So just do it. Just do it. And you can be in obedience today. You just do whatever that is that God's saying, do, do that. So maybe it's just today is your first time. And some of you are in this level of like occasional giving. And um, for me, that's where I hung out for most of my life, really until I got married to my wife, Amanda, um, was I was an occasional giver. I was somebody who if, if the pastor preached a great sermon, I'm like, here's a couple more bucks. So I was, I was awesome. I loved it. Um, if they would share like a video of people across the world that needed water or food or the poor, I'd like give a little bit of money to that. It made me feel really good, right? Um, in fact, I just, I just loved being the hero. I still remember a friend of ours that um, she was going on a mission trip. And uh, she didn't have the money to go on this mission trip. And she needed $500. And I was like 19 years old, just starting to work as a mechanic. And I had 500 bucks. And I felt like, okay, now's the time, right? And so I did. I got 500 bucks out of the account. I put it in a little envelope. And, like, I, f- I actually, like, found where she was going to be this one night. This sounds really creepy, by the way, when I tell this story. It didn't feel creepy when I did it, but I found her car, and I put it underneath her windshield wiper, like, the $500. And then, like, I drove down the block. This is even more creepy. And I just watched. I just was like, when's she going to get it, right? I just remember she came out, and she, she, she checked the envelope, and she just, like, screamed with joy. And she ran back into the house and was like, I'm going on my mission trip. And I was just like, I am her hero, right? As I drove off. And here's what I learned about myself is, is, was that a good thing to do? Absolutely. It was a good thing to do. There's nothing wrong with doing that. But what I learned was that my motivation uh, was mostly myself. I wanted to be the hero. Amen. 
Thank you. Somebody agree? It is. My motivation was myself. I wanted to be the hero. I didn't want to be consistent. I didn't want to do things that necessarily just God, God wanted me to do, and I didn't understand the outcome. I wanted to understand exactly where every dollar went, and I wanted to do it when I wanted to do it. So I wanted control. This is still like, I still sort of control when this happens, when it doesn't. The next step is intentional. This is a big step. This is when, like for, for my family, when Amanda and I started doing automatic uh, giving. We'd set it up online. So even if we were on vacation, even if we were gone, it would always go out. And it was consistent. And so this is a big, this is where like you really are choosing to make this part of your lifestyle. But then there was a big step, and that was to tithing. And that's when it felt ridiculous. Um, that's when it felt like, okay, 10%. Because can, can we admit, most of us, we live to our means, don't we? The reason that today I feel like 10% feels like a lot of money is because my lifestyle has simply risen with my income. Because if, if I would have told the 20-year-old version of myself about the money that's in my account right now, the 20-year-old ver- version of myself would be like, bro, you're loaded, right? You are so rich. And how is it that when we get into our 30s and 40s and 50s, we're like, man, it seems like we're still struggling here sometimes. You're like, because we live up to our income, right? We just sort of like, we use what we have. That's how we do it. But when we are going to tithe, which is a proportional gift to what we make, that means if I'm making, you know, $500,000 a year, a million dollars a year, or $30,000 a year, or $10,000 a year, I'm still giving proportionally. I'm still sacrificing equally. Because God doesn't care, like, if I'm making $100,000 or $20,000 a year, he wants me to be proportional, right? It's, it's the story of the widow with the two coins. Remember that? The widow's mite? Where all the religious people, they're giving their 10%. You know, but she shows up and she gives out of her poverty. She gives her only two coins. And Jesus is like, I love this woman. She didn't have much, but she gave everything she had. She gave in proportion to what she had. She gave so much, right? And so maybe for you, your next step is just to start, say like, all right, I'm going to sit down and look at my budget. To tithe, here's what it takes. It takes you rearranging your entire life around the kingdom of God financially. And that's hard to do. But if you're here today and you're like, I don't want to do it, then deal with that. Why don't you want to do it? You just got to figure that out, right? So in the last one I think is huge is sacrificial. This is really, honestly, when we get the grace of Jesus, we just start going, it's all God's. God doesn't own 10% of my stuff. He actually gives me everything I have. Um, I, I know tomorrow I could, I could, you know, come down sick and not be able to speak. I know tomorrow, like, we could have issues in our family. That, like, any of our financial situation can change. We can have another, you know, major financial crisis in the U.S., you know. Remember back in 2009, a lot of people lost money on their homes and your stocks went through the floor, right? I mean, things can change in a moment. But when we just live open-handed with God, it's to live sacrificial. It's to go, everything is God's. God, whatever you want to put in my hands, whatever you want to take out of my hands, I'm going to let you do that. I'm just going to trust you with everything in my life. And what's so beautiful is Jesus shows us what sacrificial living looks like, doesn't he? He models this perfect. Listen, Jesus didn't tithe his blood on the cross. And that's good news, right? Jesus wasn't like, hey, I'll give you 10% because we needed a lot more than that. But instead, he shows up, he gives of his entire life, he dies for our sins. And so as God's people, we show up and we go, God, thank you so much for your grace. Thank you so much that I've been bought with a price. 
that, that everything I am is a gift from you. And so, God, I, I give it back to you. And, and you don't have to feel shame, right? So you don't have to walk away and go, Brian, I still got my pickup next month. It's okay. Keep it. Here's what I want you to do. I don't want you to give a dollar more or a dollar less than what God is calling you to do. So I'm just going to leave that in your hands. Say, just follow the Spirit. Follow the Spirit. Just listen to God. Do what He says and model that sacrificial life that Jesus modeled so beautifully for us. And if you're here today, I want to close out with this last text because if you're here and you're just like, Brian, I don't know what I even think about this church. Here's what what Paul closes with. I think this is great. He says, now when they heard of the resurrection of of the dead, some mocked, but others said, we will hear you again about this. So your temptation may be to walk out of church and be frustrated, um, but I want to challenge you to be like the latter group who are like, we'll listen again. Maybe my heart's not there. Maybe I've got some baggage. Maybe I watched a pastor abuse uh, money in a church. Maybe I went through some hard things financially as a, as a kid. Whatever it is, like, just choose to keep moving. That's all I'm asking you to do. Take a step today. Let's stand up together. I want to pray for you. God, thanks for your church, and thanks for meeting us right where we are. And God, I just want to confess that there's greed in my heart and um, parts of me that don't trust you as I should. And God, I just confess that I'm, I'm constantly negotiating with you. And yet, God, you want to free our church up. You want to free my heart up. And God, I've just tasted it when, when we trust you, when I trust you. There's just so much freedom there. And God, I just pray that over our church today, God, that your Holy Spirit would convict us. God, that we'd know the difference between wisdom and excuses. God, that we'd know what our next step is and how to take that step. And God, give us courage. I pray for the man or woman today who's scared. She's like, man, what would it mean if I didn't have this in my life? What would it mean? I would really have to trust you, God. Pray, Father, that you'd allow them to have faith beyond their own ability. Holy Spirit, empowered faith to take a step forward. God, we love you. Thank you for your church. God, thanks that we get to be a part of it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Love you guys.